Okay, so we're going to go into our morning this morning. So this morning, I've got two guests that I'm going to be interviewing. And they have been members of this church for a long time, who've been, who have served very faithfully over the years. And they have a great testimony. And we really just wanted to hear from them this morning. And so I will be interviewing Jim Hunt and Irene Langman. So please welcome Jim Hunt to come up first. Wes asked me this morning if I ever got nervous before I came up on this platform. Here, over the years, I've been able to preach. Uh, I don't know how many messages. I can't lost track of yeah. them. Every single time, I was nervous. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, so. Yeah, so for, for just a little introduction here. Jim has been here for many years. But when I first came to Meadowbrook Church, I would often hear Jim preach on Sunday morning. He was one of the, the pastors that would preach when, when uh, our pastor needed a day off or was going somewhere. And so that is how I first got to know Jim. But anyway, Jim, let, why don't you tell us a little bit just about your history, your parents, siblings, marriage, children, just so we kind of know who, where you come from and who you are. Well, I was born in Amherstburg, and you don't know where that's at. I have two of the most hardworking people I ever knew in my life. My mother's still hardworking. She's 103 years old. She's over here at uh, the nursing home, Franklin Gardens. But she used to, she was the cleanest woman I ever, ever knew in my life for housework. She never worked outside the home, but she'd even polish the furnace. Rich <laughs> knows. She said, I never did that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And she had every meal at night there was always a pie. I don't recall ever being home without a pie. Sometimes two and three different kinds of pie. So anyway, God's blessing her. She's doing pretty good over here at 103. She has less problems than I do, actually. And uh, I have two brothers younger than me. I'm the oldest. Actually, I'm the oldest grandson on both my mom's side and my dad's side. And there are an awful lot of grandchildren. But uh, yes, I'm the oldest. I'm almost 81, so uh, I'm getting up there. And uh, so we lived in Amherstburg. Uh, my dad all his life, my mom all his life. And I'm the only the mover. I'm the only one that actually left the nest and wandered all over Canada and, and uh, came back to here. And we moved many times, but every single time we knew God was in charge. And even we didn't understand it, we just followed. Uh, I worked at General Motors for most of my life. I had 35 years there, and uh, in London and in Windsor. I retired 20 years ago, or maybe a little more than 20. It's going to be 21 coming up pretty soon. And uh, boy, I met a lot of people, and they, I run into them and say, "You're still alive?" <laughs> I don't know. I feel it. Yeah, I guess I am. I never met anybody who's been retired for 20 years and still alive. I said, don't say it too loud, you know, but yes. Uh, what else? You married at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did I ever. 55 years with Mitch will be coming up. That's 
on December the 2nd, we're leaving for Florida for our yearly four months. This is our last time, by the way. So we'll be celebrating on the road 55 years of marriage. And it's fantastic. I was a guy that swore I would never get married. I had two bachelor uncles, and I, I just admired those guys so much how they could have all that money to, their, to themselves. And, and I start working at GM, I was making $200 every two weeks. I thought that was, somebody's gone crazy here giving me that much money. <clears throat> well, I have uh, nine grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, and lots of my grandchildren have husbands now and boyfriends, so they're... Today we're having our Christmas dinner at our house, so there'll be about 20 or more there today. For a guy that never wanted to get married, God had a sense of humor. You say, oh yeah, I got news for you. Well, so yeah, I, I, and I moved around. We moved around Canada. I, le I left GM. I had a problem with, it was just too much work for me to handle. I was salary employee in, in an office, and the pressure was awfully heavy on me all the time. So I did, we just quit and moved to Calgary. Came to know the Lord out there. There's a reason why we went. That's the reason. So other than that, uh, on that subject, I don't know how much more you want. But. Well, let's, let's, let's move on to the next question then. Um, were you always a Christian or how did you come to know the Lord? <laughs> I was far from being a Christian. <clears throat> In our home and in Midge's home, we were Jim, I'm brought up. To keep your mic we were brought up as, as Catholics, and um, I went to school taught by nuns. And uh, I don't know, Midge, you didn't have nuns. Sometimes you did. And I was supposed to be the priest of the family. My grandparents said, "Oh, obviously you're the oldest. You you got to be the priest." My aunts and uncles, "Oh yeah." I said, well, "Who told you that?" You know. Well, that's the way it is, you know, it's tradition. I said, well, maybe that's why I was studying Latin while I was in school. And I asked the nuns, why am I, why am I doing Latin? What do you mean, why are you doing Latin? You can't be a priest without Latin. Okay, so eventually I did go out and have a check. I checked up on it and see what it was all about, being a priest. And Midge went away to see what it was like to be a nun. Uh, she lasted two weeks, I lasted one hour. <laughs> Not for me. No, I, I, I thought being a monk would have been really nice. I said, a monk, I kind of, you know, round, they have a nice cassette there, brown. So I went to a conference once at uh, Assumption College, and there was people there from every Catholic order, at, and they all had booths. I walked up to one guy, a Franciscan monk, and I said, oh, there we are, perfect. And he asked me if he could help me, and I said, yeah. And I said, you know, I love your costume. He says, well, it's not a costume, you know. I wear this every day. I said, so I said, what do you do for a living? He says, I work in Africa. I go, all right, I'm in the right place, you know. I can go to Africa. And he says, I said, what do you do there in Africa? I work in a hospital. I said, are you a doctor? He said, no, we work in a leper colony. I said, excuse me? We work in a leper colony. I said, we'll see you later. <laughs> I, just, I don't think so. So I walked away. Mitch went for two weeks. She didn't think it was right for her, and we're thankful, obviously, that we were brought together to be married. Um, that's it. So then how, how did you eventually come to know the Lord? Well, I struggled for years of trying to find out where, where did I come from? Why, as humans, I had all kinds of books 
my poor wife put up with a lot of this stuff. What are you reading now, you know? Maybe I think we're Martians. And we had all kinds of crazy stuff going through my head. And I had a very good friend of mine back at General Motors who actually flew out to Calgary, him and his wife, to help us unload the truck that was coming and put the furniture in an apartment I had rented on his own expense. I thought, you know, he, and he was a good friend of mine, very, and we got drunk together many times of terrible things. Language things were terrible, filthy jokes. We would just, we loved it. That was our life. He came out, he says, oh, I love it here, Jim. I'm going to go back home and quit my job. I said, you serious? General Motors, he, had a, he was uh, up by that time a foreman. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go quit my job and I'm coming out. Well, Midge didn't like that idea because she knew how much influence he was on me and how much I was on him. So our wives were going, oh, let's not go there. Well, he did. He eventually, back at the, the old trim plant in Windsor, he came to know the Lord. And he, he never hit me over the head, with, but he would send me these letters and notes and things. Of, oh, something's wrong here, you know. Then one day he calls up and says, guess what? You know, we sold our home. All our furniture were coming out to Calgary. Now think about this. You know people you have led to the Lord. You know a lot of people in that same position. Did they ever sell their home, sell all their furniture, quit their job at their own expense and take you aside, talk to you about Jesus? Uh, that's quite the thing. And that's exactly what they did. They came out to Calgary, pitched their hardtop little camper in our backyard, and every night, Midge was so thrilled, sitting around listening to Johnny Cash's Gospel Road, you know. We would sing Johnny Cash's tunes over and over, and she'd go, oh, if I can keep this up. But slowly, we start seeing a new person. When we go to bed at night, she'd say, Jim, I kind of like him now. I said, yeah. I kind of like the guy. He's so different. And he never witnessed to me for two weeks, never said a word. I just kept watching him. And uh, finally, I said to him, come on, I'm taking you away with me. We're going to go fishing. I'm going to get you by yourself, just you and I. And I thought, he'll never survive. We went fishing, and we had an adventure that day that you'll have to read it in my book. <laughs> I wrote a book, by the way, one time, 150 pages because my kids said to me, tell us your story. And I, that's what, exactly what I did. It's called My Life in a Nutshell. And that's part of the story. But by the time we came home from that fishing trip, we never, never caught a fish, never saw a fish, uh, I was begging him to tell me why and how he changed. And he said, boy, you're dense. Taking you all this time to ask me that question. The very next day, I went to church with him. I went because I wanted to. Ms. was besides herself thinking, you actually want to go to church? Yep. I did. I came home. I said, guess what? She said, what? I'm going to church tonight again. Oh, she said, that night I went, and I heard a message, the most important message of my life that night, and I accepted the Lord. Some people are going to accept the Lord like Mitch, and she did. All she did was nod her head, tear coming down here. 
me, it was like the fireworks they have in Detroit. Because I remember that night coming home from church, heading towards my house, Greg was driving, and we got into a traffic jam along the highway. And I got out of the car, and I start walking along with all the other cars, and people roll the windows down. What's going on up there? I said, I don't know about that. I said, but I got safety line. You want to hear about that? <laughs> I got walking, walking, walking. And everybody, what's going on up there? I don't know, but I got saved. Oh, I'm not one of these guys. The very next day, I went to work, and I was a purchasing agent for a big insurance or a, uh, engineering company. I walked in that morning. The typing pool secretaries were, had already arrived. It was the worst day. Black sky, raining, wind howling, everything. I walked in, took my coat off, hung it up, and I thought, what a beautiful day. All the typewriters all stopped. And uh, one of them said, what happened to you? I said, I'm glad you asked. I got saved last night. Bong, all the doors closed. And so I, I stuck around for a while until they couldn't take it anymore. They wanted they wanted me out, so I did. I shook the president's hand and I left. Got another job, so anyway. Okay. It's a longer story than that. <laughs> well then, let's move on to how you came to Meadowbrook and also <laughs> what areas you have served over the years. Meadowbrook was the old Leamington Mennonite Brethren Church. Maybe, maybe some of you don't realize that they had a different name. We arrived here in 1981 in Kingsville, Saturday. The next morning, we all got in the car and looked for a church. But down the road, there was a little uh, faith reform church down there. And we pulled into the parking lot. There was nobody there except for the pastor. And he said they already had church service earlier, but I could come back next Sunday. They'd be happy to have us. So I said, mm, now what? I run back to the house, got a newspaper. Oh, I says, there's a Mennonite church in Leamington. My wife says, a what? I said, a Mennonite church. Mennonite church, are you serious? The kids are all sitting in the back staring at me. Off we went. I said, I got 15 minutes, we can make it. Pale blue suit, pink tie, white shirt. It's about 85 degrees out. Pulled into the parking lot here and... Uh, what are these people doing? They're all running around with shorts and T-shirts on, running shoes. And I said, are we at the right place? I said, apparently, yes. Well, all of a sudden, I got out of the car, and several of the men, uh, Pete Langman was one, and uh, Dave Dirksen, they all said to me, take that jacket off, undo the tie, and come and join our, our thing. And I thought, oh, I don't want them to uh, bother you people. You know, we're, we just moved in yesterday. Besides that, so it was Dave Whitfield took me into the gymnasium, which was, used to be in the back of the church. Opened the doors, and yeah, these tables were just loaded with food. And he said, you, sir, have a responsibility to help us eat all this. <laughs> I said, well, what kind of church is this? <laughs> he said, you're in a Mennonite territory now, boy. So we came back the next week, and 41 years later, we're still here, so... Love it. Just love it. So, so during, during your time here, what yeah. areas have you served? I know there was a really important ministry that you and Mitch started, I believe. Um, or it was, at least you were, sorry, maybe not started, but you were 
a big part of that, and that was the Alpha program. Yeah, yeah we, we took the Alpha program ourselves with uh, Larry and Hilka Brush, who pastored at the Congregational Church down on 77 there, and Mitch worked with Hilka at the Christian bookstore. So we wanted to, what's this, all the excitement about this stuff? And so they put one on, we went, and I came back and I approached the elders, and I said, I just finished a fantastic program. I want to bring it to the church. And we did. And we, I don't know how long we ran it, but quite a while. And you know what? We learned a lesson there too, because I, that we can still learn. So many people said to us, don't you ever take a day off? I said, from what? The Alpha program. You're here every night, you know, twice a year. I said, you know, it's simple. It's not a burden. Well, how do you do it? I said, I just take a calendar coming up for next year, and I make an X into every box of the night we're going to have the Alpha program. When someone says to me, we'd like to invite you over for dinner. And I said, what night? They're that, no, can't go. Already booked. I didn't have to second guess it or anything else. So, yeah, we, we were able to be ministered in that, in that ministry for several years, and we loved it. And uh, same with the shoe boxes. When she got a hold of the shoe boxes, there was only a couple boxes, but she turned it into 5,000 boxes. We had that many all over Essex County, and I said, how can we keep doing this, you know? And so I guess the Lord thought, yeah, how are you? It's too much. So we sort of had to bring it down a little, but we enjoyed that ministry as well, too. Um, lots of other areas, but... It would be easier for me to say what I didn't get involved with. And that was, I didn't teach women's Bible study. I didn't, uh, I didn't sew. I didn't, I didn't get into quilting thing. But pretty well everything else. It's a good life. Yeah, so you've always been really involved. Uh, just, just really briefly tell us why the Alpha program was so important. Some of us here may have a taste of Alpha, but a lot of them don't know what Alpha was. Because no. Alpha was really important to Meadowbrook. Yes, it was, because in that ministry, we never saw so many more people come to the Lord, because some of them had never been in the church before. And we did things so different. I would tell the, the, the staff, I'd say, the first night, we don't pray over our meal. they go, oh, what? You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you'll catch on later. We go into prayer later. I don't want you pointing at some brand new person and say, would you like to pray? You're going to make them nervous. Ease them into this. So we did. By the third night, somebody would say, aren't you supposed to give thanks for the meal? And I'd say, oh, yeah. You know, just like I had forgotten. But it went so much smoother, and people would say, oh, wow, this is so comfortable. I don't feel like somebody's pushing me to be here, you know. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people came to Christ. A lot of marriages were mended as well besides that. And um, we enjoyed it until it just got to be too much. Jim, what important changes have you seen at Matterbrook? Were these changes easy? This is an entirely new church. I kid you not. I don't want to get into anything negative or anything, but this is a, a new church. Some of the old faces are still here, but our, our worship service, the way we worship, 
the reason why we worship. All these young people coming in, I say every single Sunday to Midge, have you ever seen so many people you don't know? Pastor Chris said that to me too. He said, Jim, I don't know 75% of these people. I said, well, you got me beat because I don't know 85% of them, but that's okay. Yeah, I figured if I knew every one of you, what you do for a living, where you live, how many kids you have, would that be really, you know, I'd have to keep searching around, but I, I don't care really in a in sense who you are, where you come from, you're here, and praise God for that. And you're really liven this ministry up. We had a lot of problems over the years from some of the old laws and things we had in the church. We couldn't cross the line. We've crossed a few lines. I think we had to. And uh, we even changed the name. It was from Leamington Mennonite to, to uh, what we have now in simple terms, church. It's you. It's me. Um, yeah, we've been through a lot. There are a lot of people who never talked to me for months or years on end. I have people out there who still won't talk to me. But that's not my problem. Really. Amen. Yeah, because you felt the Lord call you here and he hasn't released you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I have one little thing I'd like to read because I, I don't mention you. Can't you memorize it? I said, well, don't rely on that. <laughs> I way my brain's going lately. You see all these scars on my forehead this morning. You wonder why Mitch didn't hit me with my cane. She died. I just slammed her some walls last night. Here's one thing that really, really is on my heart every Sunday when I'm coming here, and it has been for the last many years. John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. It's in the library upstairs. And there was one part of it that hit me right between the eyes on what's happening here at our church. John says, I'm often asked, why should or when should I leave a church or a ministry team? How bad does it have to get? And I respond, who sent you to the church you presently attend? And the majority of the time, they answer, God did. Well, if God sent you, I reply, do not leave until God releases you. If the Lord is silent, he is often saying, don't change a thing. Do not leave. Stay where I have planted you. When God does instruct you to leave, you will get out with peace. No matter what the condition of the ministry. Therefore, your departures will not be based on the actions and behaviors of others, but rather on the spirit leading. So leaving a ministry is not a hassle. It's not based on how bad things are. We had so many went away for, you know, we had problems with the ministry, with the, the leadership and everything else. And they would just simply walk away and leave. And you and I'd ask them, and they don't want to talk about it. Too bad. Anyway. So, Jim, um, you are recognized as one of the pillars of this church. What legacy do you want to leave with us? what I just said. 
you can be here for 41 years. I don't know, I'm gonna be here 42 years, 43 years, but I made it to 41, and I've been almost sitting in that same pew. It never gets tiring, it never gets boring. I've never been bored one day of my life in this church. Never. Frustrated, oh yeah. Angry, a few times. Bored, never. Because we don't worship a boring God. Or we don't follow a, a boring gospel. That's the legacy I live. Think about why you're here. I remember at a meeting once, we had, the place was packed like this, we said, have two-day meetings. And I was known as the person with the, with the mouth. Couldn't be a meeting without me getting up and saying something. I would drive here with Midge and I'd say, let's not say anything at the meeting. <laughs> She'd say, okay, 10 minutes into the meeting, I stood up over here and I said, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Why are you here? Why are you here in this church today? And you know, is it because you live across the street? Perhaps. Maybe your parents come to this church. Maybe it's the parking lot is big enough to handle your cars and all that stuff. Not a, not a good enough reason. Are you here because God placed you here? Amen. If you don't know that, pray about it. And some just couldn't handle that and then left. You know, that's unfortunate. We're here. This is God's house. This is God's church. And I'm thankful for it. Thank you so much, Jim. Let's give him a hand. Irene, come on up. Welcome, Irene. It's Thank so you. good to Thank have you. you. I'm just going to ask that you keep your mic close to your mouth so that we can hear and the people online can hear well as also. So I had, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to have lunch with Irene, and I think it was a three-hour lunch, and it wasn't long enough. Um, I just loved hearing her heart. And she, you've got so much experience, and you have so much that... Your, your heart just bubbles over, and I was so blessed to have lunch with you, and it was just, uh, yeah, I could sit for hours and just listen to what God has done in your life and your life story, and so today we just want you, we want to share with you just a fraction of it, but you know what? If you ever get a chance to visit with Jim or with Irene, take the chance. Um, just take the opportunity, because it's so amazing. Um, you can take me out to lunch anytime. We'll have <laughs> Just keep your mic up close so they can hear what you're saying. Put your mic up close so they can hear what you're saying. Your mic, put it up close. They, they didn't hear what you said. I said anyone can take me out for lunch anytime. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and she means it. She loves going out for lunch. <laughs> So, Irene, tell me a little bit about your history, about your parents, your siblings, your family. You know, it's certainly different than Jim's, and I love hearing you again, Jim. It's been a long time, and it was great. 
Yeah, so we all, God takes us all very on very different journeys, and yet it's the same God, right? And, it's, and, and he does the same thing in our hearts. Anyway, my parents came from Ukraine in 1924-25. Uh, They'd been just through the, they were in the communist revolution. Uh, they had lost everything they owned to, to the Bolsheviks. They, um, a lot of their friends and relatives had been murdered. And my dad's mom was murdered by the Bolsheviks or Makhnov, one or the other. Um, my sister Mary and Rudy were born in Ukraine and came over with mom and dad. I was born in 1926 and uh, my brother Rudy died. Uh, I was only a year old when he died and he was about three years old. Then I had a sister born in 1928 and we were three, three girls, the three Berg girls. And um, I remember oil lamps outdoor toilets, no hydro. I remember that. We've come a long way since then, haven't we? Uh, but you know, mom and dad, there always was food on the table. There was always clothes on our backs and we always had a roof over our head. There, mom and dad worked very hard. Uh, there was no help from the government like there is today, but they made it on their own and, and of course with the Lord's help. I remember oil lamps, oh, I already said that. <laughs> I was allowed to go to high school. A lot of kids my age, which would have been about 13, 14, um, were, uh, had to go to work to help out the family. But in our home, I had been allowed to go to high school. I was baptized by sprinkling, and Psalm 121 was the verse I was given. And that psalm has always been special to me. I graduated from Grace Hospital School of Nursing in 1948. I married Pete in 1951. Um, my sister Mary, meet, I married Pete Langman. My sister Mary married Pete Hildebrand. My sister Angela married Pete Schrader. <laughs> All of a sudden, there were three Pete's in the, in the family. Well, Pete and I had five children. We have five, 12 grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. And altogether, we have 47. I have 47 in the family right now. Uh, Pete and I were married for almost 50 years when he died uh, in the year 2000 at the age of 81. Wow. So that's a bit of my history. Yeah, that's, that's a great history. <laughs> that is amazing. Irene, um, have you always been a Christian, or how did you come, uh, come to know the Lord? I don't, nobody is, has always been a Christian, right? How did I come to know the Lord? Pete's grandfather had died, and we went Put your to, mic a little closer. And we went to the funeral. Uh, taking uh, my mother-in-law with us. And I met my mother-in-law's younger sister, Aunt Mary, to my Pete, to my husband Pete. She was Aunt Mary. Uh, she was single. She was working in Los Angeles, California for a rich lady. She was doing light housekeeping and um, 
uh, and cooking for this woman. But I had, she had, <laughs> there was something about Aunt Mary that was different. My grandfather, Pete's grandfather, had been married three times, and so many of those, uh, the family members of the, of the three um, wives were there. Uh, and Aunt Mary just was joyful and loving and, and you know, there was, and, a, and radiant. She, there was something different about her. God had been preparing my heart through the years. I was 31 at the time. And I knew that there was something missing in my spiritual life. And I thought, Aunt Mary has what I, what is missing in my life, but I didn't know what it was. I questioned her and she gave me some scripture and shared some things with me. And I thought, well, it, it just didn't click. And so I had, we had gotten home from this funeral and uh, few days later in the mailbox, and this was at what Aunt Mary did. She had been saved through uh, Dr. DeHaan's ministry, and her heart was to get Christian literature out to uh, her German-speaking uh, friends. Uh, she felt that they didn't have the literature uh, that she was, had available to her. So she, on her own, with her own money, um, had, liter had Dr. DeHaan's literature translated into German, and then she mailed it to missionaries and contacts in Germany and Europe, um, in the States, and in South America, actually. And, uh, and, and she, she was always so joyful when she uh, had some feedback, and uh, there was feedback even from East Germany at the time, so uh, it, during the day she did light housekeeping and cooking, during the night she did her mission work, and she was very passionate about that. And so she had sent me two books, and one was You Must Be Born Again, and the other one was Teach Me to Pray. And um, when I saw the book, You Must Be Born Again, I thought that's, you know, God, I think the Holy Spirit immediately, I thought that's what I need. That's what I don't, what's missing in my life. And so, um, yeah, the kids were, I had laid the kids down. They were five and three and one. And they were all down for a nap. And I had some time and I read that book. And the Holy Spirit opened my understanding that it wasn't that I didn't have to be good enough to go to heaven, but it was God, it was Jesus in me that would be good enough. And I, I had believed with my head, but I had not believed, I had not received that salvation. And so right then I just asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and I understood, right then, I understood <clears throat> that now Jesus had taken my sin away and I had received his righteousness. And right away, I understood that, that I was going to go to heaven when I died. And you know what? That was so amazing to me. That was so awesome. I just, it was just, 
I, had, I did not know anything about the Holy Spirit, that it was the Holy Spirit in me that was working. But I thought, well, why hasn't anyone told me this before? I, I just couldn't imagine that people knew about it and never told me that I could go to heaven when I died. I could have that assurance. And so I set out to tell everybody because <laughs> that was the most amazing news. And, you know, even to this day, um, we should never take that salvation for granted. It is the biggest miracle that God can do in our lives. And, and of course, right away, I wanted to tell others. So, yeah, I've gotten I've written down here, wow, hallelujah, and that's what it is. <laughs> anyway, so I set out to tell my kids, my friends, had a wrong number. Somebody called my place and it was the wrong number and I said, oh, by the way, do you know? <laughs> Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Maybe not quite that bad, but really, really, I think I made a nuisance of myself. Our friends would get together and all I could talk about was that I was saved and going to heaven when I died and they could have that same assurance, you know. Anyway, at Bible club, uh, I, I started, I wanted, I just, I just wanted to know what was in the Bible. I wanted to know it from, from cover to cover. I was so interested in, in just knowing all about the salvation that I was now part of. So Bible club came, I asked Bible club to come into my home we built a couple of benches and had them in our basement. I uh, invited guest speakers and, and pastors to come to, I hosted them in my home. I wanted to expose my kids to, to the gospel and to people who, uh, who uh, loved the Lord. Uh, I gave my testimony in church and was baptized by immersion. I joined an international Put your mic women's a Bible study group. Mic a little closer. Pardon? Put your mic a little closer. I've joined an international uh, uh, women's Bible study, and that was amazing because I got to, you know, hear just uh, hear and see, and just like with with Jim, when you're saved, you it doesn't matter what church they go to or. If you're a born-again Christian, you're immediately a brother or a sister in the Lord. Yeah. Um, well, then, so, and I started, uh, yeah, reading the one year the Bible, one-year Bible, uh, and that was great. Just to, re I finally, finally did read it cover to cover from uh, in a year. And, you know, then life happens. The children grew up, and they got married, and we had grandchildren, and that was great. But then divorce happened, and it was awful, and it was painful, and it was hard, and life got messy. But God gave me a promise, and it was confirmed by my 
son-in-law Randy, and the promise at that time was not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, great mountain? What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel or before Irene, you will become a plain. And uh, God does that, doesn't He? When things happen, and it is always God's word, God's word that that uh, encourages you, and of course people do too. But it was I, I had a phone call from my son-in-law that night, and he confirmed that verse to me as he as he read it to me, or he he quoted it to me that night. Another time, I had pneumonia and had come home. Well, I had been in uh, ICU in Chatham and then had been transferred to Leamington and, and my um, daily light worship book showed up and I said to Joan, uh, read me the um, uh, tonight's uh, uh, message in, in my worship book. And she read uh, this, uh, um, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed, from Psalm 41. And, and I just thought, you know, again, it was confirming that God had been with me. I had, I had nearly died at that time, and, and uh, God had decided I was going to live, I guess. Anyway, the, I, I just feel that these are not coincidences but they're divine appointments. God speaks to us through his word. You also started something new here at Meadowbrook. What was that? And how did you get your training? I'm not sure if I, if, I'm not sure if I did start ladies Bible studies. Okay. Well, I, you were a really big part of it being here. I started precept. Precepts, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what I mean. Anyway, Ellie Dyke, Ellie Dyke asked me to lead a Bible study, um, a small group of women Bible study, and we did, and we studied um, um, books about the Bible, and I heard about precept, and uh, it sounded, and I really, uh, it was in-depth Bible study, and my heart was still wanting to know God's word, and so... Um, I heard that there was a training uh, uh, weekend in London, and I went. And so for one weekend, uh, we were trained on how to use that, that particular Bible study. And I came home, and we just got started. And, um, um, yeah, I just tried to keep a little bit ahead of my class in my... <laughs> in, uh, uh, and and I and I just thought this this fit in in right in here about Moses. Um, for forty years, Moses thought he was somebody. For forty years, God had to show him that he was a nobody. For the next forty years, he learned that God can what God can do with a nobody, and I think that's the way I felt. I sure didn't have the Bible training. I hadn't been to Bible school. But God can use a nobody. <laughs> it's, it's, 
I think Chris read this in his message last week about that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, Ali, Ali Dyke is teaching precept now, and I'm very thankful that I can still be a part of it. And I'm still learning, and it's wonderful. God, in God's, God, God always does what he says he will do. It's great to know his word. and yeah. Yes, it sure is. And as long as you're hungry, you just, you just keep growing. And it's not like you need to have it all to give it away. You just need to give away what you already have. Like you said, you just wanted to stay a little bit ahead of the group. And, and, and that's, you know, God just blesses when we give away what he's already given to us. Yeah. Um, another part I know, I, I know that's really important to you is prayer ministry. It's been, always been really important to you. Um, do you tell us a little bit about your prayer journey? One of the books that Aunt Mary sent was Teach Me to Pray, and I think that jump-started me on knowing that God hears, God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers, and we need to pray, and God does nothing with, unless we pray about it, what we pray for. In 2010, I was uh, privileged to go to Israel with my grand granddaughter, Deanna, and... Uh, um, and I guess the the thing about that trip to Israel that was special to me was being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we we were able to, they gave us time to pray and meditate, and we were anointed with oil there. Um, and I was praying, and I was praying for those in my family that weren't saved yet, and I was agonizing and all of a sudden, God said to me, uh, or Jesus said to me, I agonized here. It was I who carry the burden. You don't have to. You know, I just needed, I just needed to talk to God. And, it, and that, I think, um, changed my prayer life quite a bit, knowing that it was God that, that carried that burden but what he, he wants us to do is just to come to him and talk to him. And um, he, knows, he knows our hearts, but we, we are asked to pray. I was also thinking about the fact that, that um, uh, the, the devil does not want us to pray, does not want us to read his word. And I think you all probably can identify that that often we don't want to feel like praying. We don't feel like reading God's word. And, and, um, and when we do, the telephone rings or we remember something we should be doing instead of sitting there. At least, uh, I have to say that at the present time, I have quite a bit of time to, <laughs> to read the Bible and to pray. But uh, we know that we have an enemy that tries to keep us from that. Um, so there's, there's prayer, and then a prayer partner. I think I have been very blessed to have a very good friend in Kay Whitfield. And for quite a few years, the two of us prayed together once a week. We prayed for our children. We prayed for our friends. We prayed for the church. 
And uh, yeah, and that's, it's, it's very good to have a prayer partner too. I think we could encourage one another in that. And I, I certainly believe that uh, in prayer in the church. And that is, it seems like that is always so hard to get people together. It would be when you hear about um, some of the African churches where, where they have two, three, four hundred people coming together and they're all praying at the same time and all at once. But anyway, um, I th we could do a little better in the church, I think, in getting together that corporate prayer. I guess we have to, we have to um, believe that God, that that together we can uh, move mountains. No, uh, yeah, that 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 God moves when we when he knows that we're sincere and uh, yeah yeah i both i've been when i found out that you set aside a certain day usually to pray with Kay. i, I know i joined you and Kay at one time uh just to see how how you guys did that and i was just so encouraged because it was not just by your feeling it was a discipline that you incorporated in your life which was just which was very encouraging to me and just uh i learned a lot from that um so Irene, as, as a pillar of this church, you recognize as a pillar because you've been so faithful in this church and you've prayed so long for this church, so long. And we are reaping a lot of benefits because of your prayers in this church. Um, and so I just want to ask you, what kind of legacy do you, what legacy do you want to leave with us? How much time do we have? <laughs> I just, I had, I had just written down a few things, a few ways that that I can remember from the church. I can remember when we were in the church, we, the women sat on one side, the men sat on the other side, and the language was German, and singing was by a Furzanger. Some of you will know what that means, the leader, I guess. Um, and, um, um, and it was about the time that Pete and I got married that married couples started sitting together in the church. Up until then, we'd been sitting separately. Uh, we, we had lay pastors and we had two messages, one in, and both in German at first, and then eventually it was German and English. Um, then I can remember uh, joining the choir and we sang we didn't sing the ABCs. We sang one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's how we did it. And <laughs> um, anyway, the church was uh, oh, <laughs> the church was discussing. Now this is not our church. Uh, buying a chandelier, and one church member objected and said, "I think what we really need is more light." Anyway, uh, just saying that all the changes in the church, there's always somebody that resists that change. I have seen at least 10 pastors in the church here, and I'm very happy that they are not the, the head of the church. The head of the church is God. And so the pastors come, and they go, and we love them, and 
Some of them we like, I guess, and some of them we don't. I can't say that I have ever not liked one of our pastors. And we have a treasure, don't we, in Chris? We really do. But he is not going to be here forever. So it is God who is the head of the church, and the word of God is our authority. And as long as we leave, keep it that way... Um, God lays upon each generation its own work to be done in its own way. The generation that is passing must keep hands off from interfering. That was Hannah Whitehall Smith had written that. Our, our role is to support, to encourage, to pray. And then I want to finish just with uh, with the verse, now to him who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or even dream of according to his purpose, at, according to his power at work within me or within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, in every generation, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Worship team, come on up. Give Irene a hand. I'll take the mic. Wasn't that amazing? Aren't we grateful for the legacy that we have in this church? People who have been here for a long time, who have prayed into uh, this church, who have been faithfully serving God, who see God as the head of the church and not it's my church. None of them, neither one of them said, we built this church. This church is built by Christ. And we are so grateful for both you, Jim, Jim and Midge, Irene, and there's many more in this church still. And hopefully we get a chance to listen to more testimonies. But, but it is an honor um, to have you guys serve us this morning. Thank you. Stand up. Let's worship. <laughs> 